Well, we're back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TGC Canada Worship God podcast. We are so delighted to have you with us again today. We've been enjoying doing this over the last number of weeks and months, and thanks for being with us. Well, last week, if you were with us, or last time, actually, if you were with us, we were talking about the senior pastor worship leader relationship. And uh, actually, it was two times ago, and then we had recently talked about some things we wish we hadn't done in worship ministry. So hopefully, those things have been helpful and encouraging to you. With me today is Rob Brockman. Rob is worship pastor at Living Hope Alliance in Georgetown, Ontario. Hello, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing great today, Jody. Thanks for having me here. It's good. And we love our West Coast brother, Pat Sabell. Pat is the worship pastor at the soon-to-be-launched Midtown Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. Pat, good to have hey you guys. with us. Uh, great to be here. So we are in a season of change. Uh, Pat, you're starting a new role, and I'm transitioning from my role as a worship pastor here at Cornerstone Baptist in Aurelia to a lead pastor role at South Shore Bible Church in Barrie. And Rob, you probably got some new stuff starting as September rolls around, and this is all unfolding for us. So we're kind of in a season of change right now. Yeah, yeah we really are. Yeah, and it's kind of like trying to find your footing and trying to make sure that you keep your eyes kind of on the ultimate um, goal is, is one of the hard things through transition. Yeah. Yeah. And Pat, you're busy with uh, getting into a new building and building relationships in the community. So that's pretty exciting. It really is. Yeah. It's just all brand new because I live out in Langley right now. So the whole transition to becoming a, from the suburbs to the city is going to be a, a, a big change in every way, but really excited about it for sure. Amen. It's a good thing you and I are both young and have all that energy from the Lord. To, I'm telling you, know, you. I'm telling you. So, at our age, right? <laughs> so true. <laughs> one, uh, one friend of mine said to me that guys in their middle, middle age, uh, the temptation is to coast and to take things easy and uh, to be comfortable. And uh, definitely it's exciting when God leads us to do new things that, that cause us to rely on him Amen. and find our strength. Well, good to have you guys with us today, and thanks to GC folks for allowing us to be here. So, as I mentioned, uh, we want to be on the same page with our senior pastors. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago. And today what we want to do is provide a biblical vision for uh, why it is that we do what we do, or the foundations for what we do in terms of worship. It's not just picking three songs and playing your guitar or your piano. Uh, there's there's so much more, obviously. What are the foundations that we build all that we do upon? And we have to get those foundations right. If you've ever built anything, a house, a cabin, anything, you've got you to do the hard work at the beginning. You've got to prepare the foundations very, very well, because everything sits on that and rests on that. Mm -hmm. If it's strong, it's going to survive. If it's not, it's going to crash and tip. I was just thinking, guys, that um, the Bible tells us in John chapter 4, uh, Jesus, at, at, uh, the, talking with the woman at the well, he says that um, we have to worship in spirit and in truth. The hour is coming, now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we want to be true worshipers, and we want to dig in and say, Lord, what, what is that which pleases you in corporate worship? What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? And then I think of Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, where Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So mm. we can have sincerity and be completely wrong. And so mm. we want to talk today about not just sincerity, but truth as well. So uh, Pat, I'm going to start with you and ask, what's one principle that, that you think is key as a foundation for us? Well, I, I think for sure, um, you know, I think everything that we do needs to be shaped by the gospel. Um, 
we we say that we believe that as believers um and if our life is to be shaped by the gospel so should our sunday gathering unfortunately i don't think this is true in a lot of cases in a lot of churches um i think there's a reason why over and over again in the scriptures we hear the words don't forget the lord your god or take care lest you forget um things the thing that we need the most we forget the most um I was thinking of um, Psalm 103, verse 2, where the psalmist says, forget not all his benefits. And then verse 10 and 11, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. It's it's something, though, that, that we quickly forget. We were prone to fall off either side of the horse or the saddle you know into legalism or into license and i think we gather each week as a church in light of this profound weakness we gather to rehearse or to regularly forget not uh, all his benefits um, because that's what i'm prone to do that's what you're prone to do um as martin lloyd jones i think it was that says for every 10 looks at uh, you're, for every 10 looks at, uh, no, for every one look at, oh man, I'm stuck. For every 10 looks at uh, Christ, take one look at yourself. Uh, but I think it's the opposite often in our life. For every 10 looks at ourselves, we're taking one look at Christ, if we're taking one look at Christ. So this beautiful thing of, as a church, as a worship leader, your primary goal is to, people are coming through the doors and and are you spreading a feast, a banquet feast of the good news of Jesus Christ? Because your people have probably forgotten. They forgot his benefits. And, and to remind them that, that as far as the East is from the West, their sins are infinitely gone. That's, that's, that's profound. So I think it's really important. The gospel is not something that we, we taste at conversion. And I think a lot of people think that it's just, you know, happens at conversion, and then we move on to bigger and better things. Um, as David Pryor says, we never move on from the gospel only into a more profound understanding of the gospel. So as a church, as a worship leader, are you leading your people into a more profound understanding of the gospel? Or, or do you think there's something bigger and better that you need to move on to? So singing, praying, preaching the gospel into your heart. And, and, and I love, I think it was, I listened to a sermon recently by Tim Keller on praying the gospel. Where he says, we, we do it until it catches fire in our hearts. So as a worship leader, I want to make sure the gospel is central in my gathering. I want the gospel to catch fire in the hearts of my people that are so prone to wander and so prone to forget. Um, so that's, that's kind of it. And the gospel in its simplest form is, is uh, that, that God is holy, that Jesus saves us, or that God is holy, we are sinners Jesus saves us from our sins, and then Jesus sends us in the power of His Spirit. Um, or we could, we could, we could say creation, fall, redemption, and um, and restoration. And so, um, but this beautiful picture of reminding our people when we gather that 
that the gospel has to be at the center of what we do. We need to sing the gospel. We need to pray the gospel. We need to listen to the gospel preached and proclaimed until it catches fire in our hearts. And so when I'm, when I'm prone to take 10 looks at myself for every one look at Christ, and I know my church is, I know the people in my church are, I want to be the, the one who is making sure that I am giving them 10 looks on Sunday morning at Christ. Can you see Christ? Can you see how big he is? Can you see how glorious he is? Can you see what he's done for you? Can you see that all your sins have been atoned for and you are loved no less than the one he calls his beloved son? So that's, that's I think, something that stirs in my heart. I desire that people would, would love the gospel and that the gospel would shape everything we do. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we think about, if we start creating that as a priority, you'll start to notice how us-centered a lot of worship is, a lot of worship right. can be. Yeah. And, and when you start thinking about what's the direction of this and what's the tone of this, is this a gospel-drenched kind of liturgy or music or prayer, you start to realize that I think there's a lot of stuff out there that is actually very much, it's talking about what we will do. We will worship and we will, and, and it just kind of sings about worship mm-hmm. rather than declaring the gospel, declaring what God has done mm-hmm. um, and declaring God's wonderful deeds. And I think a lot of worship is that it's declaring God's deeds. I mean, if you think about some of the earliest hymns, like scholars typically say that Colossians one and uh, Philippians two, six to 11 are, these are kind of old hymns. And if you read them, Philippians two, six to 11 and Colossians one, 15 to 20, Colossians one, the famous passage, he's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, that section. That retells, the, it retells what God has done in Christ, who Christ right. is, it declares him. And so that's kind of what we want our worship to be primarily focused on declaring the gospel, proclaiming what Christ has done, looking in light of that, seeing who God is, seeing who we are and our response to that. And I think a lot of worship today has become very, very us-centered and not gospel-centered. Yeah. I think a danger is that um, we, we don't see God as the end, but he's a means to an end. A lot of our songs uh, we, that we sing are God being a means to an end rather than he's the end. <laughs> he's the one that we, that we, we worship because we're blown away by his, his glory and his majesty. We're blown away by his love for us. Um, so it's, it's not, I, you know, I, I need God so I can get this. I, I want God. That's, that's what I want. I want to worship God because when I see God for who God is, um, he's worthy of my worship. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's a great way to think about, I think, in terms of what we're singing nowadays is, is God the end in this song or is God a means to an end? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the um, Psalm 45 verse one says, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. And, you know, our pleasing theme never gets old. It's Jesus Christ and his, his death, his resurrection, his love for us, his glory, and the plan of God, the plan of salvation. And that is the fuel for our worship. You know, we are, as a culture, I think we are obsessed with novel, with, with the trappings, you know, whether it's the, the equipment or the lights or the surroundings. I remember being in a, in a worship gathering once that had nothing that was exciting. It was in the basement of a church with big fluorescent overhead lights, 
with a guy who was a guitar player playing a piano and he was uh, just singing a very simple chorus. And I was reminded that all of the trappings were stripped away and it was about the Lord. And so we don't need all of the externals. It, it's about the message. It's about this pleasing theme, who Christ is and what he's done. And just, we've got to get back to that because, you know, there's such a, a drift and temptation to, to wander and do, as you guys have so well said, just making it about us as well. And I was thinking about, you know, for worship leaders watching today, if you've ever read Charles Spurgeon's book, The Treasury of David, it's absolutely wonderful. It's a commentary on the Psalms. And as he's going through the Psalms, he'll actually make all of these applications to Christ. And it's such a beautiful, a beautiful help for us to realize that in the Psalms, as, as you started off with Psalm 103, we think about these things that many of them that David wrote, but they're pointing to Jesus. They're speaking of the work of Jesus and, and our hearts become inflamed and on fire with great he is. Well, that's the first one. Um, Even Pat, if you look at a lot of... Go ahead, Rob. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, even when you look at a lot of um, ancient from the beginning, you see this this theme of sharing and retelling the gospel um, throughout. And it's just glorious. This, and, and it's like you can go and look through. And Christ-Centered Worship by um, Brian Chapel is a great, great resource for this. And it kind of shows you can see how the church throughout kind of our, the, the era has kind of followed this flow of a gospel theme, gospel centered response in worship. And so I'd highly recommend that resource. If we just need, if you want to kind of fully go, okay, well, what does that mean? Practically get a gospel centered worship. That, that is a great or Christ centered worship, I think is what it's Christ called. Christ centered worship. Yeah. Christ centered worship. Uh, that, that's a great resource just to kind of um, flesh this out a bit. Yeah, another another book by Mike Cosper called Rhythms of Grace. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, and one I would throw in there as well. I just love the title. We'll get we'll get to this in a few minutes too. But this uh, book by um, actually uh, Matt Boswell. It's called uh, Theology and Doxology, mm -hmm. and how those two things work together. And we want to equip you folks watching today just with resources that are helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also read a book. It was an older book, maybe from the '80s. It was called Worship as a Verb. And one of the points is worship isn't that is done for us or done to us, but it's something that we do. And Rob, you want to talk to us about one of the foundations just being congregationally inclusive. So tell us about that. Yeah, I think, I think, um, so if we say that the gospel needs to be foundational for how we plan our services and what happens and what we're focusing on Sunday, then I think on our worship gatherings, I think as well, one of the purposes of the gathering of the church um, and worship is engaging the congress, congregation, encouraging the congregation. And I think one of the mistakes that we often make or we can make when it comes to worship is that we, as, we kind of assume that the worship service is purely about worshiping God. And even in our lingo, oh, we're here to worship God this morning. And we talk about vertical worship, right? We want our worship to be vertical, to be directed towards God. And amen, of course, yes, that's, we're gathering together to worship God. Absolutely. And we want our worship to be focused on Christ and the gospel. Absolutely. But what sometimes that can lead to is um, that we don't take into account the fact that what we are doing 
is also engaging the congregation, encouraging the congregation. And, mm. and, and, and I think that that can lead to some practices, singing songs, maybe that are unsingable um, to the average person, putting songs in keys that people can't, that are, that are not accessible to them and engaging in practices that aren't inclusive to the whole congregation. I think those are a symptom when we forget the worship isn't just vertical, the worship service is horizontal. And to see this, like 1 Corinthians 14 is a, is a great example of where Paul hits on this. 1 Corinthians uh, 11 to 14, Paul is talking about worship, right? And he's instructing the Corinthian church on um, what worship is supposed to look like in there. And so um, listen to this in verse 26, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. When you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And then he goes on to say, hey, if you speak in a tongue, don't have a bunch of people doing it. Have one person at a time and then interpret tongue. And if there's no interpretation, then be quiet. And then he goes on to prophets. Hey, don't, don't have everybody prophesying at the same time. Let's get some focus. Let's get some order. Let's get some structure here. Um, and then he says this. In verse 31, so that all may learn and be encouraged. You, you hear this language of the reason that we do church this way is so that people can be built up, verse 26, people can be encouraged, <clears throat> verse 31. And Paul says this in, in, in Ephesians 4. He talks about how he gave the apostles, he gave the shepherds, he gave teachers to equip the saints for ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so those of us who worship lead, one of our roles when we're leading the church on Sunday morning is not only just to worship God and to help people worship God, but it's also to encourage and build up the body and to help them grow in the faith and mature in the faith. And that happens through the singing, the preaching, the prayers, the exhortations, all of that. The goal is to include the congregation and to grow them up. And, my, and you, you guys mentioned Mike Cosper um, in his book, Rhythms of Grace, which is a great book. On, on page 80, he says this, that the Bible shows us a church that gathers in the midst of the world's pressures under the hopeful warning of Christ's return, encouraging one another and building each other up through the presence of God's spirit by immersing itself into God's word, singing and proclaiming the gospel. The fruit of the gathering is not just a strong individual, but a strong church united in faith. And so that value of encouraging the saints, building up the body needs to be in our minds. We're not just picking songs so that people can worship God. We're picking songs so that people can actually be equipped and built up and engaged. And, and, and that changes the way there's an inclusivity you know, about the way that we plan services and you know we don't come just to receive um, but we also don't only just come to give we right. we come to receive and give and to be built up and to worship part of what you just said rob is is being a good shepherd you know it's knowing what the sheep need knowing what the sheep need to eat knowing what kind of diet they need and making the food in that sense accessible to the sheep that they can they can reach it and they can be uh, built up and encouraged. And there's lots of temptations as worship leaders, you mentioned about song keys, you know, that we want to sing a song because it makes us sound good, or we want to sing a song on a certain key because that's our vocal range. But you say, 
you know, uh, that's actually not going to be helpful for people. And so we want to say, what will be helpful for people? Yes, biblical, yes, theologically grounded, but what to our people? Because, and we've talked about this before in previous episodes, that the heart of the worship leader as a shepherd is, is to love the sheep. Back to John chapter 21, to feed and to care for and attend the sheep. And you're right, they need to be edified and they need to be built up. And I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that I uh, want to start doing is kind of waking up my first thoughts in the morning with a hymn. So almost the night before, I'm going to say, what's the hymn I'm going to think about, you know, when I wake up in the morning? Because so, so much it's easy when you, you wake up, and I'm on a little bit of a tangent here, but you know, your first thoughts of the day can lead you one way or another. And I want to be thinking about a hymn that glorifies God to get me on the right track. Mm-hmm. And my point in saying all this is that we want to give people that kind of vocabulary that they can take it out of Sunday into Monday morning or into that tough meeting that they're going to have on Thursday, but they're singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness when they wake up taking that sense of who God is with them. Yeah, those are gifts that we can give our people. And I I do really think if we prioritize this point, if we really think about inclusivity and engaging and encouraging the congregation, I really think that narrows down the pool of of what we do Sunday uh, in a good way. And, and I, you know, there's something wrong with having a special music where, Hey, if there's a, is a great song out there that's not congregational, I think those elements can play a role in the service now and then, but but I really do think that, you know, if we make inclusivity uh, a value, it kind of narrows down kind of what we sing because we really want to leave people with that song that they can hold on to and sing and engage with or that prayer or whatever. You think about the, the book of Hebrews, um, you know, written from a, like a, a pastor. They, they, some say that the, the entire book is a sermon and he's writing to this, he's preaching this to this little house church that is, they, they got an X on their back. I mean, they're, they're considering that maybe we should just not meet together anymore because for fear of losing their life. I mean, we've never thought that right now uh, and, and never have we ever thought we shouldn't go to church on Sunday because there's an X on our back and we could be murdered for, for attending church. But this is what they were facing. And then when he writes in verse, in chapter 10, 23, um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet as is the habit of the son, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So this stirring up to love and good deeds, um, you know, the, the word liturgy is, is just means the work of the people. It's, we, we gather and we, we stir one another up by remembering the gospel. And, um, you know, what is, is, as Jody's already said, we have no clue what we're going to face tomorrow or the news we're going to hear. And we, we have this glorious privilege of, of encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching when we gather to proclaim Jesus and to proclaim what Jesus has done for us. And it's forever settled. It's never going to change. <laughs> Those truths are absolute. Everything else around us is shifting and moving, but there's a, there's a rock there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to help our church understand that is, is paramount. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, that's great. The heart, the heart of the leader for the people. Well, we've talked in point one about going deep theologically in terms of the gospel, we've talked in the second idea of just kind of going wide as it pertains to being inclusive with the body. And the third thing that I want to address here is going high in passion and reaching the heights. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but 
when you're in a, in a setting where people are hungry for God and there's just people reaching out with passion, expressing their hearts in worship, it is a, it's a beautiful experience. There's something beautiful about hunger and thirsting for God that expressed by people who are really leaning into the Lord and mm -hmm. seeking him. That, that is a place where that I want to be. That's the mm -hmm. kind of, I want to be uh, involved in leading and I want to be seeking the Lord with them. And the, the third idea here is that uh, we just don't want the, the biblical depth, but we also want to talk about heart passion. And in Matthew chapter 22, in the Great Commission, this is what Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the classic line was that the Baptists were heady and the Pentecostals were, were just full of heart and passion. And sometimes, you know, we, we, want, we do want to see this, this marriage of strong theology and depth, but also a, a burning zeal and a burning passion. And, and the caricatures of sometimes groups is that they're all head and no heart, and some people are all heart and head. <clears throat> Biblical worship, as we see, as we talked about at the beginning from John chapter 4, is that Jesus calls us to worship both in spirit and in truth, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, from our spirit, with all that we are, uh, in, you know, in light of his truth, in light of the truth of who he is. Mm. And I think we could say one thing. We would, Lord, pray that you would make us spirit and truth worshipers, make our congregation deep in truth and high and burning and zealous with the mm. power of the Holy Spirit from authentic hearts of worship. And of worship that I've heard is worship is a whole life response of love to the revelation of God. Worship right. is a response to the revelation of God. And, you know, as we talk about the gospel in point one, that is the fuel for our response. Our response shouldn't be driven by the great vocal solo or the great guitar solo or my favorite song. I mean, those things perhaps can elicit a response, but that's, those aren't the triggers for the responses that we should be looking to. It's, it's yeah. the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. And more and more, when we're doing point one, the third point, this, this personal response, this passion from our hearts will be expressed in hearts surrendered, in hands uplifted, in voices raised, well, pre-COVID or post-COVID, <laughs> and in a life surrendered, you know, in a, in a sense of seeking God and holiness. And so uh, we you need to ask the Lord to, to stir us up. And I think part of what we do as worship leaders is we give people permission to express their hearts to him. And it does start with us, really. You know, I, I think that uh, the lead pastor of the church is really the worship leader of the church. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago under the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is the capital W, capital L, worship leader. But we, as the, the people behind the piano or the microphone or the guitar, are giving people permission. We're calling them to respond with all they are. Yeah. And you don't have to go far. You could probably almost pick any page in the Psalms and you see these exalt, exalt, extol, magnify, glorify, yeah. yeah. shout joyfully. I mean, the Psalms, when it talks about our worship response and singing, it's big, it's passionate, it's deep, and, and it's loud. Right. And, you know, we want to encourage people to give their hearts to the Lord and to give him the joy that, that belongs to him because of who he is to them. Mm. So good. John, P John Piper says, where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. <laughs> um, and he, he talks about, in his book, uh, Desiring God, chapter three on worship is a great, one of the greatest chapters on worship, I think. Um, 
but he talks about you know when we when we just have uh, our, our like a head head engagement it's it's if it's just all truth and it's it can the temptation can can be dead orthodoxy and if it's all kind of emotion it's it's just empty frenzy but there's this beautiful combination of the truth that's that is awakened in our hearts and in our minds and and it it, it creates a a extravagant outpouring <laughs> Uh, to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's what we want our church, we want our people to be. And, and I think you as a worship leader have to be believable. You, you're on the stage and that guitar is strapped on you. And, and you're, 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 you're not only just singing those songs and like having a happy face, putting on a happy face, but there's something about you that says, I've tasted of the, the nearness and the sweetness of being with Jesus. And, and it, and it's believable. People are watching and going, this guy not only uh, loves the truth of the gospel, he is experiencing the life giving presence and power of the gospel of Jesus in his life. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's also important to, to, to identify where passion, that passion comes from. How is it stirred up in the people and like you said, Pat's response, it's a response to what God is doing. Like I, the classic mm. Psalm, I think of Psalm 100, which says, make it joyful. It talks about all these things that you mentioned, Jody, joyfulness, gladness, singing. And then it says, know that he is the Lord. It mm. is he who made us. We are his people. We are the sheep of his. It, and then it says, why are we singing? Why are we glad? Because of who God is and what he's done. And we even see that in the New Testament, like Colossians 3, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with what? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so the joy and the passion that comes that we want to see in our people comes from point one making the gospel clear every week when the gospel is clear when we talk about what jesus has done when we remind ourselves when we point to him and what he, not to us but to him not as the means but the end right. then man the, the natural response from the christian to that is joyfulness and thankfulness so it's not about how high the music can get turned up or it's not about how cool the band can play or the key about how clear is the gospel how clear are the deeds of God being made in our yeah. midst. And when those are clear, that, in, that, that just that kind of instills us with passion and joyfulness. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, need, we need the spirit of God to do that, to stir us up, right? We, you, just, you, know, you take that log out of the fire and how quickly it cools. And yeah. you talked about how easily we forget and we just get more excited about ourselves and our, our new trinkets than you know, the gospel. And so yeah. we need the spirit to, to work. And I think that's an encouragement to me just to be a spirit-filled person, to pray for the spirit's work in our congregations, in the life of our people. And one of the things I've said is if, if this is a thermometer, sometimes our people come to church and their thermometer, in other words, their hearts are cold, they're disinterested, they're distracted, and you get a room full of blue thermometers, that's a chilly room in the temperature, that's a temperature in the room. But if you get a red thermometer, someone who's coming because they're filled up and they're fired up and they're fueled up about Jesus, partly because maybe what's happened in the morning or maybe because the, the week they've had or the investment they've made into their, their own walk. 
you have a room full of red thermometers reading hot. You get a room full of people that are passionate. That's an exciting place to be in. And we want to encourage people. That may be another topic of conversation because worship is not just corporate, but it's private and it's public. And that interplay of the private worship and living it out in the public sphere, all of that interplay Monday to Saturday then culminates in this overflowing response on Sunday. And if not much happening Monday to Saturday, chances are things are going to be a little chilly on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Well, John Stott wrote, um, this is a quote I like, the worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of God. True knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. And so uh, we want to sing true things about God. We want to read scriptures about the greatness of God and celebrate the gospel. So today, just to recap, we've talked about the importance of declaring the gospel and keeping that our, our main theme, Jesus Christ, his, his life work, his death, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his rule, his reign, and his coming again. Amen. And also, we want to love the sheep and feed them and lead them well and inspire them and encourage them. And we want to encourage, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this heartfelt response that says, uh, God is great and greatly to be praised. And we want to let that fire, the fire of the Spirit in us, burn in um, gladness and gratitude and surrender and obedience in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So brothers and sisters, as you watch us today, we uh, are so thankful for the ministry that you have in music and worship, leading and helping your, your people to keep their eyes on Jesus and to love him and to be changed by him. So uh, Pat, Rob, thank you so much for being with us today and just sharing some great ideas. I know you're, you're, you men are passionate about what you do and you love the sheep. So thank you. Let me just pray for us. And yeah. I'll... Father, thank you today for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every blessing that is ours comes from him. Thank you that you've chosen us. You, you've loved us. You've adopted us. You're coming for us. You're transforming us. And we have an amazing eternity in the presence of Almighty God, Lord, enjoying your glory and giving you worship. And so, Lord, to that end, we pray that you would make us spirit and truth worshipers, that, Lord, you would work in our hearts with a greater measure of your Holy Spirit. And we would say, more, Lord, more. We hunger. We thirst for you. We hunger and thirst to be the kind of people that will please you and bring you glory. So, Father, bless those watching today, and thank you for the beautiful privilege you've given us to be leaders of people, that they would worship you in spirit and truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.